No, I don't think governments should be banning this device. Governments should be welcoming this device, right? Every government right now is saying, oh, we want more, you know, we need more cybersecurity capacity, right? We need more cybersecurity researchers. We got to cyber wars to fight, blah, 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 right? Like we got to defend our national cyber infrastructure and all that, right? And then when you make this amazing tool that is, I think, a really great way for people to start interacting with cybersecurity and getting really interested in it, right? Then you ban that, right? Like we want cybersecurity researchers. No, not like that. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Our main story today is about hacking. In October, a security researcher named Jeroen Vanderham was having trouble with his iPhone. On a train in the Netherlands, Vanderham got a pop-up on his iPhone about a supposed Bluetooth pairing request with a nearby Apple TV. Strange as that may be on a train, Vanderham soon got another request, and then another, and another, and another. In explaining the problem to the outlet Ars Technica, Vanderham wrote, quote, My phone was getting these pop-ups every few minutes, and then my phone would reboot. I tried putting it in lockdown mode, but it didn't help, end quote. Later that same day, on his way back home, once again aboard the train, Vanderham noticed something odd. The iPhone pop-ups came back, and this time he noticed that his fellow passengers were also getting hit. At the time, Vanderham took to Mastodon, the Twitter-like social media platform, to describe the scene. Quote, This is weird. On the train and my mobile Apple devices are rebooting, showing a possible connection to an Apple TV beforehand. And then I look around and notice I'm not the only one. Turned on lockdown mode, and even then it's showing the same alert and crashing. End quote. What Vanderham soon learned is that he and the other passengers on the train were being subjected to a denial-of-service attack, which weaponized the way that iPhones receive Bluetooth pairing requests. A denial-of-service attack is simple. Uh, Essentially, a hacker, or more commonly an army of bots, will flood a device or a website with requests. Uh, The target in these attacks cannot keep up with the requests, so they often lock up and become inaccessible. That can be a major issue for a company that is suffering from having its website attacked, but it's also dangerous for everyday people who may need to use their phones to, say, document something important or reach out to someone when in need. In Vanderham's case, the denial-of-service attack was likely coming from one passenger on the train who was aided by a small handheld device called the Flipper Zero. The Flipper Zero is advertised as a, quote, multi-tool device for geeks, end quote. It's an open-source tool that can be used to hack into radio protocols, access control systems, hardware, and more. It can emulate key cards, uh, serve as a universal remote for TVs, and make attempts to brute force garage door openers. And as Vanderham later tested on his 
own devices. The Flipper Zero can send a constant enough stream of Bluetooth pairing signals to iPhones running iOS 17 that it can crash them. Perhaps because of that capability and many others, some online marketplaces like Amazon and, according to user reports, eBay, have banned the sale of Flipper Zeros. And at least one country has seized all Flipper Zero imports. But for much of the world, this iPhone crashing device is entirely legal. Today, to help us understand what a Flipper Zero can do, what it can't do, and how countries and governments should respond to this device, we're speaking with Cooper Quinton, Senior Public Interest Technologist for Electronic Frontier Foundation and owner of a Flipper Zero. Cooper, welcome to the show. Hi, David. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. We're happy to have you here. Uh, We're happy to talk about this device called the Flipper Zero, which I will be upfront here. Looks adorable. I think that's one of the things that we should get across immediately. It is a very fun looking device. It has an interface that I believe has a dolphin, you know, that leads you through menus. It's fun. It looks fun. It looks attractive and appealing, but it is also currently going through, right, some increased popularity because of that coverage I just spoke about, right? That Bluetooth denial of service attack against iPhones running iOS 17. Now, the thing I'm curious about is every time I hear about this device, I've found it kind of difficult to separate fact from fiction. Uh, there's a lot of claims. So I just want to ask really upfront, broadly, what is a Flipper Zero and what can it do? So... A Flipper Zero, um, kind of like it says on the advertising copy, is a multi-tool for pen testing, for hacking. It has capabilities like reading RFID cards, reading NFC cards. It has some software-defined radio capabilities, so it has the capability to hear and replay radio signals below certain frequencies, below 2 gigahertz. It has some hardware hacking features too, right? Like you can connect it to certain buses, not like vehicles, uh, but like (laughs) um, electronic buses to communicate with hardware electronics. And so it, it does a lot of things that, to be clear, were already things that you could do. Like you could buy an RFID reader. You could buy a thing to connect to electronic buses to do debugging and hardware hacking. You could buy a software-defined radio to use, you know, two gigahertz protocols. But what the Flipper Zero does, sort of its big innovation, is putting all of those devices into one really nice, friendly, sort of cheap, easy-to-use device that has a cute little dolphin as the mascot. When you say these things, like it has an RFID reader, uh, like an NFC reader, I'm not sure if I got that correct. What are those? Like, what does that mean to the everyday person? Yeah. So RFID and NFC are, are pretty similar technologies. Basically, like anything, some people, you know, call them like a proximity card or a prox card. Anytime you have like a card that you tap to get access to something like your your transit card or if you have a card that you tap to get into your office things like that right the the cards that you tap at a place like uh dave and busters or chuck e cheese right that have your like sort of arcade balance all of that is rfid or nfc you know depending on um (laughs) depending on the technology 
But yeah, that is what that is. NFC stands for Near Field Communication. RFID stands for Radio Frequency Identifier. It's just really super low power radio. And then that also kind of brings me to this question where you said, you know, this device can produce sounds below this wavelength, which I think you said was two gigahertz. Why does that matter? You know, for I think for most people, they'll hear like, okay, so it produces radio frequencies. They would think like, does it play a tune? You know, um, what is, why does it matter that it can uh, produce these frequencies or, or communicate amongst them? Right. So a lot of remote controls and other things use really low radio frequencies. And this isn't like, yeah, sound, right? This isn't AM, FM, radio, anything that's audible, right? But something like your garage door opener uses radio waves to communicate with the garage door and tell it to open or shut. And there's a, there's a number of other things that do this. Some, you know, remote controls use low level radio frequencies for like LED lights and things like that. There's actually like a number of devices that uh, use these. And what the Flipper Zero does and has made easy to do is sort of to not only read these frequencies, but also replay them. So you can clone a thing. So like you can clone your RFID card to get into work and have a backup of it. Or you can clone your remote controls at home. The, the Flipper Zero also has infrared, which is what like TV remotes generally use. So you can clone your TV remote control. You can clone other things like that. If you had something that was a radio frequency based remote control, like a, like a very insecure garage door, you can clone that. Most garage doors nowadays use what are called rolling codes where the code changes each time. And so you can't just clone that and play it back with the Flipper Zero to open your garage door or open any garage door on your block. But there are some, you know, older models of garages, some um, known very insecure models of garage doors that don't use a rolling code or use a very weak rolling code that can be brute forced. Yeah, I think it's important to kind of give an example here where it's pretty common in, I'd say, like modern vehicles that you will be given like a button that essentially you press and hold down while you are also using your garage door opener, right? If it's a different remote and you just kind of press and hold both at the same time. And it sounds like what's happening there is is almost exactly what the Flipper Zero could do, which is it's just reading it and it's syncing it up and it might reproduce that tone. I think like you said, some most garage door openers have a rolling code. So it's not, hey, let me play the same thing so it can open it indefinitely. I don't know how the cars handle that, to be perfectly honest, but I know that my car does it. So um, something's happening there. But this is all to say, like, these are features that you can find in the world. They, they do exist. This isn't some sort of like magic hacking device that the world has never seen before. Absolutely. I mean, I had separate devices that did every one of these things long before, in some cases, long before I got a Flipper Zero. Right. The main thing about the Flipper Zero is that it puts all this in one very handy, very portable package. And it's sort of, it's made this, this sort of research accessible to more people. As an owner of Flipper Zero, I want to ask, what's like the coolest thing that you found it can do? Pretty much what impressed you about it? Yeah. 
I think everything about it impresses me, right? Like having all of these tools, having a TV be gone, to be able to turn off random TVs that are playing obnoxious commercials or sports, right, in the bar that I'm in. You know, having the ability to clone all of my remote controls. Sometimes I just can't find a remote, but I can't find my flipper, right? So I turn that off. I think the the funnest thing I've ever done, and, you know, it's a a little bit illicit, is... um, so it turns out that when Tesla designed their cars, they put all of the charging port covers on the same radio frequency. So there's a like well-known radio packet that you can send to open the charging port cover on any Tesla. And that was, I admit, a kind of a guilty little thrill uh, discovering that one and seeing that you could open, you know, just I could open the, the charging port on my friend's Tesla, right, and, <laughs> and leave them a little bit confused. So that was... <laughs> That sounds like it's not a way to design um, things in general. Am I getting that correct? Like the yeah. fact that, like you said, you can download this packet and it kind of just serves as this sort of like, okay, we've got like all of these that we're going to try and like one of them's going to work. That feels like a bad design choice. I just want to uh, ask if that's correct. That is correct. I mean, to me, that's the main thing about Flipper, right? Is that it's made all of these really obvious, really sort of basic security flaws right like tesla not even just using a small pool of signals but there's it's the same exact signal for every tesla so like and it's just one you only have to it takes a quarter of a second and if you put this if you you know hooked up like an amplifier right you could you could feasibly open the charging ports of every tesla in a in a city right like all at the same time and like what can you do with that Right. Not much, right? right oh, right, right. I'm going to charge your, you know, like a, a bad guy could yeah. charge your Tesla for you, I guess, <laughs> right? Like, like, hopefully, you know, hopefully they have like fault protection in there so that a bad guy couldn't like short out your engine or something like that. Right. Although given Tesla's history, maybe they don't. <laughs> that said, it's not like an extremely malicious thing, right? It's just sort of like a fun, and I think it, it closes itself after like a minute if it's not being charged. It's a really, like, low-level mischief. But what the Flipper has done is sort of brought this ability for everybody to test and sort of check out these very obvious security flaws that would have otherwise required you to have more specialized hardware and knowledge and a deeper understanding of these things. The sort of elitist hacker in me, right, is like, oh, it's a script kitty tool, Right. Um, and I mean, like, and I love mine. So what does that make me? Yeah. Um, but like, that's, I think it's good to have these, right? Like, I think it's good to have these sorts of things because it forces vendors like Tesla to up their game. You can't rely on security through the fact that just nobody has access to the tools that you would need to test this anymore, right? You just have to get better at security. And so I think it really... Whenever something like the flipper comes around, I think it sort of puts the lie to like security through obscurity, right? Like we're going to make the gas cap on all the same frequency because nobody's ever going to like figure out, reverse engineer and replay the frequency. Like that would require too much time and work for such a useless hack, right? And it would, but when you put it into a form like this, it no longer does. Yeah. I hadn't thought of the flipper zero as a sort of research for the masses kind of tool this thing that like you said companies can no longer rely on this term i had never heard before security through obscurity which makes so much sense this idea that like well 
it's not insecure because like who's going to take the time to figure it out you know um but like but it very much is and so it's super interesting i i wanted to pivot here and ask you know because we've talked about what it can do i think it's also just as important to understand what it cannot do right some of the questions i always hear about right whenever i talk about the flipper zero or you know like it's brought up or i read articles and there's comments is always things like oh my goodness, this can steal credit cards, it can copy hotel key cards so that people can like break into rooms, it can open car doors, right? There's a bunch of things out here that I think are, maybe there's some truth in like, it could hypothetically do some things like copy a key card, but I also don't know how true even that is. So I wanted to ask again, what can't the Flipper Zero do? The Flipper Zero can't do anything that couldn't be done by other means anyway. Mm. Like there's no new technological breakthrough on the Flipper Zero, right? Can you clone a hotel key card? Yes, you could do that anyway. I have cloned my hotel key cards with the Flipper Zero. I've done it before the Flipper Zero, but you could also, that ability existed before the Flipper Zero, right? And like, how long does it take to clone a hotel key card? With older technology that's less secure, it can be pretty quick. With newer key cards, it can be, depending on the level of security, it can take hours, if not days, if not, like, you better get lucky. It can be difficult to the point where you'd be better off social engineering the hotel, and you would have to get into crime territory, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that said, what you know, for most hotels that I've checked out now, right, like you would have to have access to the key card for like at least several minutes, like half an hour or so to clone the key card. And by that point, you could have just there are other yeah. ways to break into a hotel, right? Like it's yeah. not yeah, it's yeah. not subtle at that point. So, no, I don't think the Flipper Zero is going to be a revolution in like breaking into hotel rooms. This is interesting because um. I don't know if you've seen this comparison image online where someone shows like the amount of sugar in a bottle of soda and then they compare it to like how much sugar there is in a donut. And then like a bottle of soda has like, I don't know, like four or five donuts worth of sugar. And then I saw someone say online, they're like, hey, my takeaway from that is that like donuts are actually healthier than I thought they would be. And my takeaway from this is like, oh, hotel key cards are pretty legit now. I absolutely did not know. I count me as one of those people that thought like, you just tap the flipper zero to the hotel key card and you're like, good to go. And it sounds like, oh, I I actually have quite a bit of faith in my hotel rooms now, which is nice. (laughs) So I think that would be the wrong takeaway. (laughs) Um, Many hotels are still using older technology where, like, Mm -hmm. the cards can be cloned a lot quicker. Like, you can clone it in a couple of seconds or maybe three minutes, right? But some hotels have started upgrading to better security, better encryption technology on their key cards. I imagine like the one that is concerned about better key cards is like whichever hotel hosts the annual hacker conference DEF CON, right? I just assume, but maybe 
I'm assuming too highly, but I just figure everyone who goes to DEF CON just has a Flipper Zero with them, or maybe so many people will be like, well, everyone's going to bring their Flipper Zero. I can't be that, like, nerd, that loser. Like, as you said, this is a script kitty tool. Like, I can't be seen with one of those, so all just random thoughts. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it has that, like, stigma yet. It's really a fun tool, right? Like, it's a lot of fun to play with. I was, and I was speaking tongue-in-cheek when I said it was a script kitty tool. I love my Flipper Zero. There's actually a lot of really cool stuff you can do on you can write code for it like you can i was being tongue-in-cheek but what it's done and the things that people deride as script kitty tools what they always do i think is sort of democratize security research and make security research accessible to a lot more people and i think i think that that's actually good because i think it forces everybody on the defensive side to up our game I also wanted to ask about, you know, what it can't do. Yeah. I've seen claims that, you know, it can copy credit card numbers. And CalMe is also, again, another one of those people that I see, like, passport holders or wallets that have RFID scanning protection. And they're advertised with this idea, this idea that, like, oh, someone's going to come and copy your credit card number while you're, like, walking or you're, like, a tourist. I don't believe any of it i don't know how else to put it i just i could be again extremely wrong in this regard but i don't know how real that threat is like for my threat model but i wanted to push it again is this something that the flipper zero can do can it copy my credit card number and importantly if it can what is the follow-up from that for an attack yeah so the the flipper zero cannot copy your credit card if you want to get somebody's credit card number still, the best way to do that is just to look at their credit card. <laughs> um, it, so no, it, but it can't, it can't copy the like chip that's on your credit card. It can't do any of that. It can't, you can't hack an airplane with it. Right. Um, you can't. Uh, so there, the, the car thing is interesting because yeah. so most key fobs, all the key fobs nowadays operate Again, on their radio transmitters and receivers, right? Um, well, the, the, sorry, the key fobs are just transmitters. And what they do is they transmit a rolling code that changes every time, right? For the most part, some cars do not use a rolling code for certain things or have a very weak rolling code that can be reverse engineered, right? And so for those cars that don't use rolling codes or use weak codes that are pretty easy to guess you could clone those keys there's a lot of sort of youtube videos of this of somebody unlocking their car with their flipper or whatever and what you see a lot and what you see in that is usually just people getting very far away from their car so their car won't hear it and pressing the unlock button on their key fob and recording that and then going and replaying that close to their car and that only works one time because then the code rotates uh, yeah. but it's a fun party trick <laughs> and I think that that's, I think party trick is actually like a good summation of what most people are doing with the flipper, right? Like it's a good party trick, um, you know, and that's the Apple Bluetooth thing, I think falls into this same category. It's a very annoying party trick, yeah, but it's still a party trick, right? Like you're popping up all these Bluetooth connect requests and causing people's phones to crash, which is legitimately annoying and sucks. And like, I would, 
advise people not to do that with their flavors <laughs> and not to do things like this in public that like yeah. scare and confuse and let people demonize hacking tools because that's exactly <laughs> how we get to a place where people want to ban flippers and Congress ends up having a committee about it, right? Like, stop doing that. <laughs> people who are doing that, just stop. Just stop it. You're ruining it for us all. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> but that said, this is a problem, not in the flipper, but in Apple phones, right? Like, this is a problem that Apple needs to fix. And this is a problem that clearly existed before, right? It's just that not yeah. many people are out there doing Bluetooth security research, right? Uh, yeah. And certainly, you know, those that were are not doing it on trains until you have something <laughs> like the Flipper Zero, which makes it super easy. Yeah, I think it's important to note there, like you said, that this is in Apple's territory now. You know, this isn't a Flipper Zero problem. This is a Apple problem. This is something that from my understanding also doesn't affect androids from what i've read uh so clearly like there's something happening and from what i know also like the attack on ios 17 is something that like specifically had to be developed and it functions like it still works it works with the newest release and so like you said this is a this is a known issue there was a like a release for the flipper zero that you could download to use it on phones running ios 17 and that's only there because of like prior work that was done for like previous iOSs. So it kind of falls into this idea of the Flipper Zero has revealed something in the way that it did with Teslas. Yeah, exactly. That's my take on it is that it's revealed these security flaws and made them really easy to exploit, but it's still on the manufacturer of the device that is flawed to fix that issue. I think that helps us like get into our next question here which is for companies it feels like the response is to well to fix the thing that the flipper zero reveals but we have seen marketplaces you know like i said like amazon at the top of the show ebay um as well reportedly there's a lot of there's a lot of user reports where people say hey like i can no longer buy the flipper zero and i also can't sell the flipper zero uh, like my post has been taken down amazon straight up took it off its marketplace in april because it called it a card skimming device, uh, quote. And then a month before that, uh, Brazil, their national telecommunications agency, they began seizing Flipper Zero shipments that were entering the country. And so my question here is, what should the response be to Flipper Zero, if any, right? Is this the thing that governments and marketplaces should even get involved in? Uh, what should the response be? Okay, so... I just uh, did a quick little search on Amazon, and you can still buy many different types of RFID readers and cloners and RFID readers and writers on Amazon. So Amazon sells many what could uncharitably be called card-skimming devices. And, I mean, like, let's be honest. You can buy toys with lead in them on Amazon. You can buy all sorts of horrible things on Amazon. Like... Amazon has kicked out the flipper because it's getting attention, right? Because it is in the news, not because Amazon has some policy against selling card skimmers, right? And it's not a skimmer. 
you can clone a RFID card on it, but like that's not a credit card skimmer, right? I think that a lot of stores and governments have sort of fallen into this fear-mongering, right? It's not satanic panic, but it's like akin to, <laughs> sort of akin to that, right? Like the Dungeons and Dragons is, is causing your kids to worship Satan, right? Like the, the flipper is, is causing the kids to, to fall into the world of cyber criminals, right? <laughs> and it's ridiculous, right? No, I don't think governments should be banning this device. Governments should be welcoming this device, right? Every government right now is saying, oh, we want more, you know, we need more cybersecurity capacity, right? We need more cybersecurity researchers. We got to cyber wars to fight, blah, 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 right? Like we got to defend our national <laughs> cyber infrastructure and all that, yeah. right? And yeah. then when you make this amazing tool that is, I think, a really great way for people to start interacting with cybersecurity and getting really interested in it, right? Then you ban that, right? Like, we want cybersecurity researchers. No, not like that. <laughs> and of course, at EFF, it's been our assertion for, you know, 30 years now, that code is speech. And this is, you know, at the end of the day, this is just code, right? There's code on the flipper that lets you do these things and you can write code to do things, right? And all of that is speech. And so we think that consistent with human rights principles and consistent with the Constitution, right, that speech should not be banned and that freedom of expression should not be banned. So, of course, Amazon has the right to sell or not sell whatever they want. That is their freedom of expression is that they do not have to sell anything they don't want to. The same with eBay, obviously. But, yeah, I definitely do not think that governments should be banning these devices, right? If, if anything, I think you should be welcoming them because it's going to help point out obvious flaws in your cybersecurity infrastructure, and it's going to create more people that are interested in cybersecurity. So I see it as a win-win. Yeah. I wanted to hammer down on something you said earlier, where you said, hey, cloning an RFID card is not a card skimmer. Can you explain that? Because I think a lot of people might hear cloning an RFID card, and then just those words, they might be like, oh my gosh, that's my card has been skimmed. Why are those different things with modern credit cards? So card skimmers are typically specifically things that are attached to credit card readers or ATM machines where the sole purpose is to clone that credit card. And usually the purpose is to get the credit card number from the Magstripe or something like that. I'm not super up-to-date on credit card skimming technology, I'll just say up front, but that is a, a device where the sole purpose of that is to clone credit cards to commit financial crime. And right off the bat, the Flipper Zero can't clone credit cards. So right there, it is not a credit card skimmer. <laughs> it can clone some RFID cards, and if the security for your building relies on RFID cards, which can be instantly and quickly cloned, then, you know, you might need to consider upgrading the security for your building, right? Because people have been able to clone those RFID cards for a long time before the Flipper Zero existed. Like, this is an attack that we've been talking about at, in the cybersecurity community for at least a decade now, if not longer. I wanted to close here on something that you brought up earlier, which I had forgot that, you know, EFF says it all the time and it becomes uh, so commonplace that you kind of forget the importance behind it. But you said code is speech. 
where did that come from? And what, um, what is the importance of that? Because we talked about it a little bit, and I, I agree, um, but I think it's something that maybe folks haven't heard before. And so I wanted to end on anything more you can say about the importance of code being speech or even what you mean about that, what that implies for research, for freedom of expression, for everything. Yeah. This principle came about as one of our founding principles of EFF when we were defending PGP, the uh, old email encryption software and protocol that people, cypherpunks, used to you know love to use a lot. And back in the day, it was illegal to send PGP, either the compiled program or the source code, outside of the U.S. because it was classified as a weapon. Which is ridiculous. But the U.S. government didn't want people outside of the U.S., other governments, other government officials, to have strong encryption. And so we argued that the source code of PGP was actually a form of speech and therefore could not be censored on its face. In the same way that you can't, that the government can't censor any speech on its face, right? Unless that there's a you know compelling incitement to, to violence or something like that. But our argument was that code is language, right? And you're you're writing this. It's it's a thing that you're writing, right? Yeah. And therefore it is speech, and it's no different from any other form of speech, like a poem, or a newspaper article, or anything else. Uh, and we stand by that principle to this day. And you know, free speech being in the Constitution, it is the First Amendment, right? It's the one that the, the writers of the Constitution thought of first. Freedom of expression internationally, you know, freedom of expression is a, is one of the most important human rights. And so, you know, we think that this is, in the, in the technological age, we think that this is an important component of human rights, an important component of the Constitution, a important component of free speech and freedom of expression is that code is speech. Yeah. Yeah. I have some unfortunate news. I, I believe that um, we don't actually know the order that they thought them in, the founders. Um, I don't. I have heard allegedly that uh, the first is not the first to be considered. I don't know why it's ranked one. I don't even know if the founders think of it as a ranking, right? I never, sure. <laughs> I just don't know enough, but- I, I um, don't either. That's, that but is... surely you put out a, a, t- a list of 10, people are gonna read it as a top 10, okay? Like this is on them, I think. Yeah. This isn't yeah. This isn't an us problem. Exactly. <laughs> But I wouldn't be surprised if it was a brainstorming session and they brought out the chalkboard and there were like a bunch of arrows and circles and things. They're like, well, what about this? What about that? Definitely. And I mean, like, look, that's, you know, it's also a document written by... It is, yeah. There's not a lot of Third Amendment uh, rights organizations out there, right? Not a lot of of people fighting against soldiers being quartered uh, during peacetime. Um, During peacetime. (laughs) <laughs> the, the the first and the fourth are really my bread and butter um, as far as constitutional articles go. So uh, yeah, it's funny. It's funny to um, <laughs> it's, apologies to everyone listening. Um, but it is dope when um uh you have a uh like a favorite uh amendment and like um <laughs> I agree number one and number four. That's my like, yeah. I love that stuff. Um, that's that's all I can uh. It's great. Um, <laughs> I could talk about it more in a different podcast, but we won't do that. Um. <laughs> Uh, what we will do is say, Cooper, 
thank you again for coming on today's show, uh, for telling us about the Flipper Zero, about what it can do and what it cannot do. And importantly, I think a good takeaway here is it is not a card skimming device. And two, it cannot do anything that hasn't been done before through other means that are perhaps just not as easy to access, but are absolutely there for someone who is committed to it. Again, Cooper, thank you for coming on today's show. Thank you for having me. To our listeners, we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Mauerbytes Labs at mauerbytes.com slash blog. Finally, our intro music is by Kevin McLeod from incompetech.com, and our outro music is by Woa from unminus.com. Today's show has been edited by our podcast consultant, Eric Johnson, at lightningpod.fm. Thank you, folks.